Hi there, welcome back for another Soul Driven interview. So I've got some exciting updates for you. If you have been listening to this show, then you will hear it when this episode starts. And that is that I have a shiny brand new intro and outro music and I just feel so cool. So <laughs> this has literally taken me three months to do. It has been such a beast. I have worked with multiple people really trying to get this right. And all I have to say is that having a podcast is not easy. And, um, but yeah, it's done now. And so I'm very excited. In addition, moving forward, um, I am going to have someone editing my podcasts. So the volume, the sound quality, all of those things are set to improve big time. He actually worked on this episode as well, although you will still hear way too much echo, at least in my mind. Um, there's just always something to learn, you know, always something to learn. And um, so moving forward, I have now been schooled. I understand all the settings that need to be set. <laughs> In addition, he will be refining everything. So it's just getting better for you. Um, I know that when I first started my podcast, I said that everything was going to be raw. And maybe it didn't believe me. But guess what? It's time for updates. We're doing all the things now. So... I hope you enjoy it. You'll have to let me know what you think. You can hit me up on social media at Soul Driven Podcast and just say, hey, like it, love it, whatever you want. I'm totally open. Um, okay, so today I'm really excited to introduce you to Melissa Tyson of Melissa Tyson Designs. She is an incredible goldsmith and custom jewelry designer located here locally in Wilmington, North Carolina. I came across her on Etsy about two years ago. I was doing the girl thing. I was looking at rings and, um, and I just dove into her account. I loved her jewelry and then I loved her story. Um, and I was very excited when I found out that she was local. I met her a couple of months ago. She is so full of life and just such a vibrant woman. I'm very excited to introduce you to her. So what's really cool about her story, something a little bit different, is that for a lot of my guests that I've had on the show, they have uncovered their purpose later in life. And Melissa found hers in college. And so for me, that is such a unique story because it's very different even from my own. I mean, I'm in my late 30s and I'm still clarifying mine so as I think as many of us are, but if you're like me, it's always like, whoa, like how did this happen? And then how did you like stick to this? And then how did, you know, I have so many questions, but anyway, I hope you enjoy the interview and we'll see you soon. Welcome to the Soul Driven Podcast. I believe that when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. If you are searching for meaning and purpose, if you are unsure about how to combine the spiritual with the everyday, if you are ready to uncover who you truly are, then you've come to the right place. 
The Soul Driven Podcast is dedicated to exploring the intersection of living a soulful and spiritual life in a driven and ambitious world. Join me for practical guidance, truthful discussions, and interviews with people who are successfully living a soul-driven life. My name is Anna Hendricks, and I'm your host. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, folks, and thank you so much for joining us for another soul-driven interview. These interviews are with people from all walks of life who have discovered their true purpose and are living it out every day. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Melissa Tyson, a goldsmith and custom jewelry designer residing in Wilmington, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you, Anna. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> we have like, I think both of us have gray hair. I'm just going to oh, I'm just gonna yeah. say that. Mine's just a little, there's a little extra on my head. Yeah, but you have gorgeous hair. Very clear. Um, for folks who don't know, you can also watch this interview on YouTube. So you can go check out our gorgeous hair if you are so inclined. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to dive right in. And my first question that I ask all of my guests, what makes you soul-driven? Oh, well, um, living out my dream. I mean, that's what makes me soul-driven. I've been living my dream for over 20 years now. And I can't imagine doing life without creating jewelry. It's just such a part of a deep part of who I am. Um, and so, yeah, that makes me absolutely soul driven because, you know, I'm living completely out of the depths of my heart and what I love to do. 20 years, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. That's so maybe a year or two more than 20, but we'll just say 20 for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Cap it off. That's all good. Cap it. So share with us like a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Um, from North Carolina, born and bred. I grew up in Durham and um, have always had an artistic passion. Even when I was little, I used to remember going to construction sites in my neighborhood. And, you know, this was a long time ago. But when they used to have the um, electrical wires that were black at the construction sites, but they were full of colorful wires inside, like a red and a yellow and a green and a blue. And I would strip it down and take out the small color-coded wires inside and I would make them into rings and sell them at my swimming pool. You know, So jewelry has always found its way into my world, even as a small child. You know, So... Um, yeah, from North Carolina and have left and traveled the world and circled back and decided that this is where I wanted to make my home. That's awesome. So you were you were making art from a young age. Yes, from a very young age. Were you um, actually making jewelry from those wires? Yes, I was making rings. I can and, and I remember the design. It was like a little ring, and then I would wrap the um, I would wrap it, kind of coil it around the ring. It was like a little coil style ring. Oh yeah, I was making jewelry um, from many moons ago. Wow. Yeah, and even so much so, I just went back to. Uh, 
visit my parents last week and my mom was like, Hey, Melissa, look at this. And it was these, I used to do the, um, paper earrings. I'm not sure if you were ever into those, but I would paint the paper with puffy paint and glitter and torn edges. And then I would, you know, put the little backs on them. So she brought out a few of those nice archives, um, from my early jewelry days. So wire, paper, any way I could make jewelry, I was making it. That's awesome. I loved puffy paint. Just puffy side paint. note. I mean, oh my I'm gosh. Bring it back. I mean, I'm not sure about in jewelry, but I'm definitely going to do some puffy paint with my kids. Yeah. Puffy yeah. paint was just like, oh, I wanted more and more and more <laughs> on everything. Puffy paint my shoes, my shirts, apparently my jewelry. I puffy painted everything. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I, you know, I hear about you unicorns who have known what they wanted to do since they were a kid. And I can't even fathom that. Um, Well, I don't don't know that I necessarily knew that I wanted it to be jewelry, but jewelry just was a repetitive theme in my love for art. I knew it was art. I was always very artistic and I loved to do, you know, painting or origami and, um, drawing and sculpting. I love sculpting it. I would make mud pits in my backyard when I was a kid and dig out the red clay and I would make sculptures and bake them in the oven and paint them and give them to people, you know? So it was constantly there. Jewelry was always a thread involved. I just didn't really realize that that was the thing um, until a little bit later in life. That's awesome. So were your parents artistic? Where did you get it from? No, No. my parents weren't artistic. Nope, not at all. My mom was a math teacher and my dad did insurance. So definitely they weren't artistic. My my extended family, maybe my grandfather was a welder. So he had a big welding shop and when we would go over to his house to play, we would always play hide and seek in his workshop. And so I always saw his big tools. In fact, I have quite a few of his tools um, in my jewelry workshop now that I um, inherited and they're super special to me. In fact, I like a couple of things that I actually can still use like a really cool old tiny hand drill and some of his files. And so that's really cool. So maybe inadvertently, I never really saw him do it, but we, I was always around his workshop. And then my grandpa on the other side was an opera singer. So very artistic, but not necessarily my field per se. That's interesting. That's really cool though. Opera singer and welder. Yeah. Cool grandpas. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. Um, So you started making art when you were young. And then obviously you were continuing to make art as you got older. And then you went to college and got into making jewelry specifically, correct? Yeah. Well, it didn't really start that way. I mean, you know, my parents were sort of pressing me to get the the real job and go more on a career path and that kind of a thing. So oddly enough, I guess I'm both side of my brains. Uh, you know, I can use the left and the right. Um, well, it used to be equal. It's not anymore. But I was really good at math for a while, um, even in calculus and all those kind of things. So my parents were really pushing me to get a career type, um, you know, type job. So I thought, well, I guess I'll be an accountant. So I went to college thinking I would be um, an accountant because I was very good at numbers at that time. And um, I made it through a year of college. And I remember calling my parents and I was like, Hey, um, I hate this. 
I'm either going to drop out of college or I'm going to art school. And they were like, oh, don't drop out of college. Don't do it. And it's like, okay, fine. But I'm going to art school. So that's just what's going to happen. So they're like, oh, well, come and meet all of our friends that are graphic designers. That's an art form you can make a living at. And I'm like, okay, great, fine. I'll meet them. So I interviewed with a few of their friends that were graphic designers. And um, I listened and I was like, okay, that's cool. And transferred to an art school at ECU because they had a great art school, which I swore I would never go there because it was for dummies and I wasn't going to go to college there. But loan, but both of my parents graduated from there. So I was like, oh, not going there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, where did I end up at ECU? But they have absolutely got the best art program in North Carolina, in my opinion. Um, in fact, like half of the people that I graduated with are living professional artists that came out of that school, which is just an, uh, you know, a phenomenon, really. Like it's very difficult to make a living as an artist, but so many people that come out of that school do. So I went and I did do, um, I do remember doing a graphic design class. I signed up for it. I made it two weeks in it. And I was like, yeah, nope, that's not for me either. So I did drop out of that class as well. And, um, yeah. And then one of my beginning design teachers was a metalsmith and she invited me to take her class uh, the following semester. And I just remember the minute I sat down in her class and I put my hands on the metal, I was like, this is it. I don't need to look any further. This is absolutely it. I knew and that I knew that I knew that that's what I wanted to do forever, forevermore. I dream about, I dream about that. <laughs> I want that. I'm, I think a lot of people do because, um, you know, so many of us, and of course, as I've gotten older and just learned about myself, I think in another lifetime, I clearly was very focused on one thing. So I came into this one, like wanting to do all the things, yes. but of course, society places so much emphasis on finding your one thing, right? Yeah. And just focusing on that one thing. Um, so it makes folks like me feel like something's wrong with us, right? And of course, parents, because parents are, they do their best. <laughs> um, they're like, what, what's your problem? You just started this. Why, do, why are you stopping? Wait, you don't like it? You need to give it a chance. It's like, no, I really don't, actually. Um, what was it that like... Like, how did you kind of find the nerve to tell your parents, like, I'm not doing this anymore? I know that's a difficult thing for a lot of people, especially at that age, but to really just come out so directly and say, this is not for me. Well, I was a little bit of a direct child, I suppose. But <laughs> I would never think that, by the way. When I was in preschool, the preschool teacher told my mom, uh, they were like, well, she's quite a leader. And uh, like, wait, you mean she's a boss? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, she is. <laughs> so I, I don't think that I've had much of a problem. When I know something in my heart, I can't not do it or say it. And I think at that point, um, I was, a, you know, a tad bit rebellious in, at that age. And so for... I tried. I did try to do what my parents wanted me to do, but I just knew that it was soul sucking and it was going to just be the death of me. Um, so I just, you know, I pretty much just came right out and said it, which I, you know, I was pretty bold at that point in my life with them and what I was going to do if I made my mind up with something, I just would say it and do it. And 
I would deal with the consequences later, you know. However, they were pretty supportive of me. I was quite surprised. I thought, you know, they were going to be an absolute no. Um, But they were hesitantly supportive, you know, in the way they were like, just don't drop out of college. Let's regroup. Like, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm good with that. So, you know, they, they've always, they've always been very, very supportive of me living my dreams. Even, um, in my wildest moments, they have supported me through and through. I think they were a little bit nervous about me actually making a living as an artist. Um, but I can specifically remember when they came to my senior show when I was graduating from college. Um, and I got such a, huge reception to my work and they saw all the people and they heard what everyone was saying and my professors and different people. And I think that just sort of, I could see it. I could see them kind of having pride for me and what I had accomplished and what I was doing with my life. And now years down the road, I mean, I'm the, I'm the talk of their conversations about their daughter. That's this great jewelry designer. And, you know, I mean, I think that that it's just, they've always supported me, even if hesitantly. And then once I made that declaration that this is absolutely where I'm going and what I'm doing, you know, they, they always would come along. <laughs> they would always come along and support, even if they weren't 100% behind it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I think that's so important for parents to do. You know, I mean, it's... Absolutely. Yes, I agree. Because kids really need that opportunity to figure out what it is that they want, you know, and what it is they don't want. Um, And of course, that can't happen if the parents are hanging over them or pushing their judgment on them too much. Yeah, it makes it very complicated. Yeah. Um, I'm like 100% the same way in regards to leader slash bossy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like... Even in my, I would say, total rebellion, um, if my parents didn't support me, like it, it didn't feel good. And it definitely made things a bit more complicated in regards to figuring out what, what path or what decision I needed to make. You sure, know? Sure. So I think especially when it comes to the arts, I mean, I grew up writing. Why they like, didn't push me to be a writer, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did get pushed into the graphic design arena as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't put baby in a corner. I mean, that's like, that's not the type of living. Baby. I love that. <laughs> um, awesome. So let's, so you went to school, you found it. It's yes. metal 100%. So then after college, what happened? Um, how many years? Well, I should say what happened and then kind of tell us like, you know, what that journey was uh, leading up to you creating your own business. Yeah. Well, so right after college, um, I got a work visa and moved overseas. Um, I loved traveling and I had kind of determined myself early on right after I realized that metal was what I wanted to do. And I realized that, um, even the few professors that I did have at my school all had a very, very different way of teaching and, um, skill sets. And I determined that I was going to travel around the world and learn from as many different metal smiths and metal artists as I could so that I could get the most well-rounded version of of the metalsmithing world. Because I think one of the things that I 
I know and I've realized is that I could learn for the rest of my life and never learn everything there is to know about the metalsmithing world and goldsmithing and gemstones. And it's just so such a broad world and there's so many different ways and techniques and things to teach that I didn't want to stay with just uh, my program. I wanted to go as wide as I could and find all of the different teachers and learn so many things. So right after I had traveled around the world, I had been to Italy and studied with um, Italian goldsmiths when I was in college and I'd gone to Montana and I had done swordsmithing and blacksmithing. I mean, you name it. If it was metal, I had I had studied it and found people I could learn from. Um, so right after I graduated from college, I had uh, decided I wanted to travel again, got a work visa, went over and... Um, just traveled around Europe and ended up landing in London and um, lived there for about six months. Worked in an art gallery for a hot minute, and um, which I also really loved to do. I loved curating art shows and things like that. So, um, kind of did that while I was while I was over there. Came back in my one of my roommates from college had said, "Hey, I'm gonna." <laughs> move down to the beach and we're going to, a few of us are going to get together and open a collaborative studio. We were all, all had graduated from the metals department and she's like, do you want to, you know, get an apartment at the beach and get a studio with us? And I was like, well, that sounds like a great idea. Sure. So I moved to the beach right after I came back from overseas and we had, there were five of us that shared a collaborative studio space in the back and we had sort of a half wall and the front half was the gallery. And so we all pulled our tools together and our, um, which was amazing because, you know, just starting off, we, it, it takes a lot of equipment to be able to run a metal studio. So you know, everybody had a piece that they brought in and it was a very amazing collaborative environment. And it was very much a lot like our school environment because we, you know, we connected and we collaborated and we tossed ideas off of each other. So there was just, it was a really great segue into, um, you know, into my adult life as an artist and, but I also couldn't make a living off of it at that point. Um, but I knew that I was going to do it forever more. So in the beginning, um, I had a job as a waitress and I also taught a um, little boy with special needs for three years. And I decided that when I'm very practical as far as, uh, life and art and all the things go is I knew that I was not going to be able to make a living off of it to start with. So I didn't put that kind of pressure on myself and decided that I was going to have these other jobs and I was going to work those until I could make enough money with my jewelry that it outweighed what I was making at my other jobs. So I did that for about three years. I never stopped making jewelry. I stayed a part of the studio and you know, designing and creating and doing all the things. Um, but I didn't go full-time into my jewelry business. Um, it was probably well, right around uh, 2000 or 2001, I think is when I went full-time. Um, and I realized I started making more money making jewelry than I was at my other jobs. And, you know, I was like, okay, now, now it's time. Now I can transition and go full time in this because I can actually support myself, um, with my passion and my craft. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So first of all, it sounds like I think the studio and, and being with all these other artists, that must have been such an incredible time of your life. Oh, it was amazing. We had such fun. However, we didn't get a whole lot of work done because there was a lot of chatting <laughs> and <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But also having that half wall where customers could come in and watch us work and then they would want to chit chat. So uh, I would have to go in and work when the store was closed or um, at various different times because it was very difficult for me to focus and actually get anything done because I'm sort of a social butterfly. So I, somebody wants to talk, I'm, I'm there for the talking. I love to chit chat and I love to learn about people and I love just people in general. I get energized by people. So it was kind of a love-hate sort of situation. It was amazing. I just didn't get a lot of, of work done. Um, but then that lasted for a couple of years. And then we all decided to move our studios. Most people moved their studios home that were a part of that. Um, so it was a really good segue into my time in the art community here and just sort of to meet uh, a lot of people really quickly. Um, it was a very great way to be connected with the art community. Um, so I'm really, really happy that that was the beginning of my art experience here in Wilmington. And then, and then I did move my studio um, into my garage um, at that point and have had a studio at home ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. So in the midst of, of that time working, I know you said you were practical, so maybe this wasn't ever an issue for you, but did you ever think like, did you ever go through a time period where it was very difficult? Like not um, being able to do what you wanted to do full time and having to kind of have side jobs or were you just, no, you know, head down? No, not at all, because it all was leading me to the direction that I wanted to go. And I knew that it was, it was very targeted and very, uh, I had a, I was doing this until I could do that. And I knew that it would transition at some point. I just didn't know when. Um, so there was never really a point where I thought, oh, this is like, you know, not what I want to be doing because I was always still doing what I wanted to do as well. I never stopped making jewelry. And I always tell that to young artists and like, you know, have a job and never stop doing what you love. But while you're cultivating how you're going to market, they don't teach these things in art school, business, marketing. I mean, you're all of those things and you can't just come out and start making jewelry or whatever your art form is and think that you're going to actually make a living off of it. There, it's, a, it's such a process and I knew that. So it never discouraged me. It only encouraged me to continue... On. And I loved what I was doing for my other job too. I worked with a little boy with special needs and um, that was a huge um, life developing thing for me because I felt like I learned as much from him as I was teaching uh, to him. You know, like I think it was such a symbiotic relationship and, and I was just growing as a young adult then too. So it was just an amazing way for me to be able to give something and and get so much back from him in return. So I, I loved that just as much. Um, it was, a, it was a really sweet season of life for me. So I was a job, but, but it was also kind of a life learning. Um, every day was life lessons with him. Um, so that was kind of, uh, I, I miss that. I'm still friends with the family, you know, it, it's just, it was a sweet time. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like as our conversation is progressing, I'm like 
scroll. She's just like, you just practical, I think is the perfect word to describe you. Yes. So level headed. When's your birthday? Um, July 23rd. It was last week. Oh, happy, happy post birthday. You. Let's I'm see what. Birthday, it's birthday month. Let's celebrate for the whole month. So we're just going to keep it going. <laughs> your Leo style, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Was it? Oh, no. I think J-Lo's is like the 22nd or something. That's fancy. Just saying. Yeah. Well, my kids think I'm famous. So, you know, maybe I'll see. Well, maybe. you are famous. <laughs> uh, there's a shirt my I got for my parents. It was really, really cool. This um, one of the guys in the marketing industry, his wife was dealing with cancer. And mm-hmm. to help raise money, he came up with this slogan. Um, uh, we are all famous to someone, oh. and um, I like sold him as shirts, and I just I love that so much because it was that's like true. yes, true. yeah, and that's really all that matters, you know. Like, be famous to your kids because, like, who else would you want to be famous for, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, so awesome. Okay, so this was kind of the loop, and then you decided to jump into having your own business. Was that? Was that a difficult uh, progression? Were you good with like the accounting and the admin side of the business as well? Um, no, that was that was definitely hard for me in the beginning. Um, you know, I had uh, I was trying to do most of it myself on a shoestring budget. So basically, I bartered my way all the way through business. Um, I never wanted to take out a loan and I didn't and still have not to this day. I decided I wanted to go very grassroots and very organically build my business. And what I made, I would put back into it and just kind of like, you know, slowly but surely build it. I lived on very little. I had a ton of roommates when I had that... um, When I started my studio. I mean, you know, my studio was in a garage with a dirt floor and no air conditioning and a couple of rats. Um, sometimes I would have to go in with my knee-high boots on and announce to them I was coming in so they would move out and I could get my work done. I mean, I would put ice in a bowl. This is, you know, we're talking living at the beach in North Carolina. I would put ice in a bowl and have my fan blow ice, cold air onto me in the studio. And I would be sweating so much that I would have to wear a headband. I mean, you know, you just make it work, right? I mean, it wasn't glamorous in the beginning, but I was doing what I loved. And I had a small little old dirty couch that sat in the corner. And if my barn doors were open, it people knew that they could come in. So I would, neighbors would stop and people would walk by and drive through. And if they saw my doors open, they would just come in and sit with me while I was making jewelry. And um, it was a really fun time. I took on a ton of apprentices and a lot of my friends, um, I... I needed help and I couldn't afford to hire people. So I would trade them jewelry if they would, I would teach them how to do a really basic task. And, you know, I would have them sanding and filing and somebody polishing over here and they'd have some pretty jewelry when they walked out of the day. And, um, and I would have a good bit of my work done. So it was a very, very grassrootsy kind of progression. Um, I did have an accountant in the beginning. Um, I think that was the only person that I actually paid professionally. Um, I traded for my website. I traded for you know labor. I traded for pretty much everything in the beginning of my business, um, which was a huge gift to me because um, I made some incredible relationships with people. And you know, it just 
it grew very, very slowly. Um, I didn't, you know, I've been at it, what, 20 years. So, um, but I didn't have a lot of expenses either. So I really didn't need to make a whole ton of money at that point. Um, so, you know, I just lived simply and um, made it work. Smart lady. Very yeah. smart. I know it's so, it, it sounds to me like you don't struggle with asking for help at all. Oh, no, I love help. And I love because I feel like it's, a, it's a blessing, right? I feel like if we, if people want to help us and we say no, then we're stopping them from being blessed from being able to give. Just as much as um, I love to give and feel blessed from giving, it's it's the same. It's like that give and take thing. So yes, if people want to help, I say yes, and and vice versa. You know, because I feel like I, I'm a very we need each other, you know, and we all have a part to play and a, a piece to give and um, a way that we all work together. And, and I just, I love that. And I love people. So yeah. Easy for you. So it's just always been that way for you. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. More so when I, um, maybe more so when I started my, my business, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always been that way for me for the most part. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the biggest things that entrepreneurs struggle with yeah. is asking for help. It's something I've always struggled with. And it's not, I mean, I completely agree that it's that exchange of energy, you know, like you are blessing someone or they're blessing you. Like, I totally agree with that. I just, I grew up very independently. My parents always, you know, they were very busy building a restaurant and doing that. And so we just had to, figure it out <laughs> on our own. Right. So that's always something I actually did a podcast about as well. Just the importance of being able to ask for help because I really think it's a difference between, you know, success and not. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. We, we can't do it all on our own. We're not supposed to either. No. And I remember years and years ago, I read this book. It was by, um, I don't know, it was about Starbucks. I can't remember who wrote the book, but it was called Pour Your Heart Into It. And it sort of was the story of Starbucks and the guy that did it and all the things. And um, he basically said how he built his business was by finding people that were better than him in all these different areas. And he would not be intimidated by them because he knew that they were better than him. And he was okay with that because he knew that that would bring everything up to a different level. And so I've, um, I love to to learn from people. And I like that there are people that are better than me in all these different areas. And now, you know, I have a nice tiny team of people that make my business work and they're all experts in what they do. And there's no way that I would have been able to grow to where I am now had they not all been a part of it and me being able to pass off different parts of, of my business. And that was very difficult to let go of the control of it because I had done it by myself for so many years and just bootstrapped it. And, you know, um, I didn't, I just didn't really want to, um, go outside of my means ever. And so it was just, you know, a slow, slow, gradual path. And, but then I think once I started to let go of some of the reins and the control and just saying, okay, here, I'm going to hire you to do this and you to do this. It just took off. Yeah. It's such an important step, you know, for business owners to, to let those things go. 
Yeah. Um, especially when the time's right. I mean, obviously when we're first starting out, it's just not possible, no. you know, and it, and it may not be for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> but once you're able to do that, then you're able to really focus on what you love the most, which is the most important. I want to do all the other things, you know, I'm capable of doing all of them now. I've done them for years and years and years. I just prefer not to anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, like from a, from a marketing perspective, it's always when I'm, when I'm speaking with business owners, they're like, well, you know I mean? Like I can do some marketing and I like doing this and whatever. And it's like, yeah, but, but your strengths, talents, they lie in a completely different place. Like, Oh, trying I mean, to do it all is for the birds. <laughs> it's a complete, I remember when I had like this moment of revelation, my best friend, her husband, um, runs the marketing department at Live Oak Bank. And he, um, I was hemming and hawing about hiring someone to do my social media and run my SEO and do all these different things. And um, I was really nervous about paying the amount of money I was going to have to pay to pass those things off when I could quote unquote do it myself. Um, and he, he said it to me really clearly. And he said, Melissa, how many hours a day are you spending on doing these things? And I was like, well, by the time I do the photographs and the editing and the captions and the posting and then the SEO and all the things, he's like, probably around two hours a day. He's like, okay, multiply that by 365 days a year. He's like, now what do we have? Like 760 some odd hours. And I was like, yeah, okay. And he said, how much jewelry could you make? with 760 hours. And would you make more money making jewelry or doing the marketing? And I was like, oh. done. I'm good. Okay. Thank you. I can move on now. <laughs> I went out and hired all the people and haven't looked back. And that was eight years ago. And that is the perfect answer for the practical woman, you know? Right. <laughs> it's exactly what you needed to know. And then I it's needed to know that. Not even a problem after that. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So would you say that like you specialize in bridal jewelry or like this is kind of your niche, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I More than anything that I do is um, custom made engagement rings. So probably uh, 80 to 90% of what I do is, is that. How did you kind of get into that niche specifically? Well, I've been... So when I started in jewelry... Um, I went through sort of like a progression of what I loved. When I came out of college, I was um, I loved making, I called it body art. So I would make these big giant metal pieces that you would wear different ways on your body. Um, I was a little ahead of my time. Now, if it would have been sort of the <laughs> next world back then, I probably could have landed a job with like a movie studio. But um, I, I realized, you know, I probably there's probably not a lot of people that need an over-the-shoulder, um, you know, piece of jewelry. It's That's gotta be expensive too, I would think. Well, I wasn't necessarily working in gold predominantly at that time. So, you know, um, however, yes, it was not the most practical. So I decided if I'm going to do metal and make a living at it, jewelry, let's scale down my sculptural desires and create tiny sculptures for the hand, um, which is what I started to do. So I've always done engagement rings. Um, in the beginning I was, uh, I didn't have a lot of money to work with and I was not going to, you know, take out a loan to start with gold. So I did a lot of silver in the beginning and then I would just do gold for commissioned pieces. So I would do engagement rings um, ever since I've been making jewelry, but only for commissioned pieces. And I did a production line for years in silver. 
Um, I was in like 40 stores across the country. I would travel and do the big art craft shows and, um, and that kind of thing. Um, and that was kind of how I built my business. And I would always do the engagement rings on the side. But um, I just didn't have the financial means to like invest fully in a golden diamond line at that point. Um, and then I launched that kind of about halfway through my career and decided that this was really, really what I wanted to do. I kind of dialed even further down into that soul driven mentality and was like, you know, I don't want to be a production jeweler. What I get the most joy out of is creating custom pieces, um, custom engagement rings specifically. So I just kind of pulled out of all the stores, pulled all my pieces, gathered them back up and said, okay, we're laying this part to rest and we're just going full throttle in this direction. Um, and that is what we did. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So again, like what was it specifically about um, the bridal industry, like engagement rings? Do you just love that? Okay. The reason I think is, is because it's such a milestone moment in people's life. And I love being able to be a part of the surprise element. And I love being a part of such a joyful moment for people. So it's a very multifaceted, you know, I mean, it's a piece that somebody's going to, you know, have for the rest of their life and possibly pass on to their children. And it's a generational kind of thing. Like there's so much, there's so much in that one tiny piece that I love that I love like the whole thing of it. You know, I love to hear people's love stories and why they're getting this piece and then, you know, what their favorite things are and what makes what makes them, what do they love? What makes them come alive? And you know, and all of those things I get to incorporate into this tiny little sculpture for a hand. <laughs> I love that you call it sculpture for a hand. I think that's awesome. So then custom design is kind of your thing. How do you work with guys who have like no sensibility when it comes to their... They're definitely you know, most challenging. I should say partner. So it's across yeah. the board. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a little challenging, you know, when someone comes and they have absolutely no idea, but they want to get something custom made. Um, but I have sort of a process that I take them through to kind of... Um, describe the one that they love and describe how, what does she, what's her style? Show me some pictures of her. Let me see her Instagram. Does she have a Pinterest? Like I can kind of dig deep and into that and the personality. What does she love to do? What's, what are the, you know, all the things like I have all of these questions that I can kind of guide them down a trail to coming to a design idea that would really encapsulate um, them as a person. Um, so it's it's the most challenging when they come with absolutely a clean slate and no idea, but they wouldn't just have a ring made. Um, but I'm pretty good at kind of guiding people through the process to kind of come up with something um, amazing. It definitely puts a little more pressure on when there's no... Um, when, when there's no parameter and they haven't given them sort of a screenshot or tapped them on the shoulder and been like, Oh, I love this. Or this is, this is what I like. Um, but it's possible. It's completely possible. <laughs> so then what happens if the girl gets a ring again, I should say what happens when the person gets their ring and maybe they don't like it. What uh, happen there? Pretty much never happens. Um, 
maybe in the span of 20 years that it's happened maybe once, maybe never though, actually. I mean, I, it's, um, I think because it's such an, it's such a personal process and you really are discovering all these things about what they love and what their style is and all the different things that it actually, um, it's, I think that's the reason that people come to me too in the first place is they, they come to me because they want something different to begin with. So I think if they were going to get a ring that they hated or didn't love that these guys would be, or they'd be going to a jewelry store, you know, somebody they'd go to a jewelry store and pick out the four prong solitaire and that's what they would do. And then that would be the unloved piece. You know what I mean? So I think the reason that, because, you know, I'm not, um, I only run two online stores, so you have to search to find me. It's not, it's very intentional how people get to me in the, in the first place. Um, so I think that part of it kind of filters out all the people that would typically get something that wouldn't be loved. That's awesome. That those are, those are impressive statistics, Melissa. (laughs) But I guess, you know, um, I mean, by the time you got to that point, because you've been making jewelry for so long and you've been getting to know people for so long that I'm sure like at some point you start seeing patterns and you start like, because you like people as well, that it would also be easy for you to be like, okay, she dresses like this. So she's going to probably like this or something like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can tell. I mean, like, like, send me a few pictures of you guys together and and I'll be looking at your jewelry. I'm like, oh, look, she's got a cute little bohemian necklace on and, you know, maybe a few rings on different fingers. And, you know, I can, or is she just completely, um, you know, wearing one sapphire ring and a tiny little diamond necklace? You know, I mean, there's very... I can tell things very quickly by just um, even looking at pictures that they send me um, if they have no idea where to start. Yeah, it's pretty easy for me to kind of hone in on I'm like, oh, yep, got it, check. I know what her style is, <laughs> got it. Yeah. Well, you've got the experience for sure. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that. You know, you just, you, once you get used to seeing seeing something, you're, you're just sort of, um, you're, bent towards seeing that no matter how, who you're looking at or what you're looking for. It's just, it comes naturally, you know? So why gold? Is it, is it like your favorite metal to work with or is it just the most popular or what? Yes. It's my favorite metal to work with. It's my favorite. For and this seven. is yellow or white or both or. Yeah, I don't love white gold. I mean, I'll do it and I do it often, but I don't love it. It's, um, it's very temperamental. White gold is, um, they call it, it has a memory, which is very interesting. So if you move it in a certain direction, um, and then you try to move it back, it automatically tries to go back to where it was to begin with. It's, um, it's a very precarious metal and it can be a little brittle and a little, um, persnickety. I don't love it, but it's, you know, it's fine. I work with it all the time, but I prefer yellow gold. I love the richness. I love the um, almost, I really love the higher carrot golds, yellow golds, because they remind me of ancient things. Like it, they look so ancient, like it could have come out of a, a relic or it could have been worn by a queen or, you know, someone from ancient Egypt. It just, I, I think it's, I love it because it just is, um, visually, I love it. I love the way it feels. I love the way it moves. It's um, very malleable. It's, um, I like to make metal 
not necessarily look like metal. I like to kind of mm, make it look almost like other things, you know? So I love to put textures and, um, and move it and make it kind of almost organic feeling. Um, yeah, but I love yellow gold hands down my favorite. Yeah. I had a, um, I grew up wearing silver mostly. And then I realized that with my skin tone, like yellow gold was just way better. And I think I got uh, through a silver or white gold kind of phase in life. We all do that. Um, (laughs) I definitely had a moment and, uh, definitely did. I mean, I definitely, I started out yellow gold and then, um, put it all away and then went into the white golds, you know, world and then came back around. When I came back around to yellow, I remember asking my mom, this was kind of in the beginning when I was um, launching my golden diamond line and pretty much uh, cashing in everything I had to uh, get it off the ground. So I came on, you know, that uh, old gold jewelry that I used to wear, those big herringbone chains and, you know, the real nice popular things from the 80s. I was like, how about you uh, give that to me? And she's like, well, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, well, I'm going to melt it down, of course. <laughs> she's like, oh, no, no, you can't. I'm like, mom, I'm sure that I am never going to wear a half an inch herringbone chain ever again or whatever it was. <laughs> Terrible like, not going to do it. It's... No cause hand hand it over. <laughs> and well, I'm gonna I'm gonna create something beautiful out of this. Yeah, which is a perfect segue into the um the uh, the heirloom recycling that you do. Oh, yeah. Because I can only imagine that there is a lot of waste within the jewelry uh, so industry. So so, so what is it that you do with with uh with that process? Um, so I love the recycling, obviously, for the fact that it is recycling and it's a lot easier on the earth. I mean, mining is a, is a difficult thing for, for the earth itself, you know, with the gold mining and the gem mining, it's just, it's a pretty, um, intense process. Uh, so recycling just makes a lot of sense in the gold world, um, and in the jewelry world. And I've always, I've always done it even and back in the beginning, um, I, I love recycling metal. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things because if you make a mistake, you can just melt it down and start again. So there's, it's never a, there's never a finality to it, which I've always really appreciated and loved. It takes... Um, I think it just allows the creativity to be so much greater. And you're actually getting to... Um, you know, do something really good for the just environmentally and eco-friendly. And I love that aspect of it a lot. I really, really love that aspect of it. But I also love the sentimental aspect of it where people just stash stuff like, you know, for years, they'll just keep it in a jewelry box under their bed or wherever it is. And it's it's almost sad to me in a way because it just collects dust and it has so much memory and sentimentality to it. Because typically jewelry is very... Um, people are very attached. Like, Oh, this person gave me that, and they gave it to me then, and it, it's a it's um, it's very heartfelt for most people with their jewelry. They they have a really close attachment to it, but when it sits in a box and it's never worn, it's like, oh, that was my grandmother's piece, and it's so um, you know I loved her so much, but it's you don't get to have that person close to you and on you know with you and on your heart literally. You know, if you're wearing a piece but you're never going to wear it because it's too outdated. So um, I love doing that heirloom recycling 
melting the gold down, turning it into something else, resetting the diamonds. Um, it's a really special process because I feel like it sort of, it brings these old things back to life and it gives them a place on the wear where they can keep that person even so much closer to them um, rather than having it collecting dust somewhere off um, under a bed. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mother just recently gave me uh, my grandmother's wedding ring. She passed away this past year and, um, and I was the closest, closest grandchild to her. We were a lot alike. She's a super sassy lady. I just loved her so much. Um, but my mother was like, you know, you can melt this down or do whatever you want with it. And, um, she had actually had it custom designed and it's in, um, uh, it's in platinum, which, you know, I only wear gold, but for me looking at that, it was just like, because she had custom designed it and it, if there was just no way that I was going to mess with it, you know, if I'm just going to wear it as is. Yeah. But if it had been potentially just a regular ring or something like that from someone else where I think even I have some rings from when I was a kid, you know, um, yes. that, that that's a great way to, to reuse them. Um, it and, and and I, and I, uh, right. And I tell people that too, like if you're attached to it at all and you're even slightly hesitant about changing the form that it's in, don't just yeah. absolutely keep it as is. But if you are like, Oh my gosh, I am never going to wear this ever again. And you're completely, you, you know that you want to change it into another form and there's no hesitancy whatsoever. I'm like, Oh, absolutely. Because it still to me holds all the sentimentality just in a form that you're going to love and appreciate and wear. Um, But when people have anything like that, where they're like, Oh, I don't know. I just, you know, it was so special because she had a custom design. Like, Nope, don't do it. Keep it just like it is. Yeah, for sure. So mm-hmm. like that that thick herringbone chain can <laughs> go right into the crucible and throw some. <laughs> so what about diamonds? Because um, of course there's uh, there's such a stigma. Like I, I guess I'm kind of curious from your standpoint. Like, is it difficult to get? Um, uh, what is it called? Something free, conflict free diamonds. Um, are are women, you know, are they being bought as much as they always have been? Like, I think that mentality over the last five to 10 years has changed dramatically. I think, um, that people are becoming more aware of where their products are coming from and sort of, you know, the rabbit trail back to the supply chain and all of those kind of things. So I think, you know, still, it's, it's still not common knowledge, but I think that a lot of people are waking up to those ideas, which I think is a really great thing. I think the transparency of where things come from and, you know, you want to feel confident about the, the wearability of your piece and, um, so I think for that is the, I've sought out and worked with vendors over the course of the last, you know, um, 20 years. And I've found vendors that, that I really, really love and that I feel confident in buying from that, that do ethical sourcing and that they're, uh, with, with the diamonds and with colored gemstones. I have one colored gemstone dealer that I've been buying from for years and they, they um, have relationships directly with the mines that they buy from. So, you know, they are supporting small communities of these mining towns, which I think is so beautiful. And so there's just, uh, it's a really 
it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, it can. Um, but I think that more and more in the jewelry industry, people are becoming aware of, um, of their impact and trying to be more ethically responsible with their materials. Um, so I think that, you know, more and more, it's definitely, um, becoming more well-known in, in the jewelry industry, but I think that there are more suppliers that we're able to work with um, that have the same belief and heart behind it. I love that. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, I know I remember watching Blood Diamonds the first oh, time. Me too. That movie wrecked me. Yeah. Oh, so much. Yes. Incredible movie, but like, whoa. Yes. But whoa, yeah, and you know, I've, I've also um, really have a heart for uh, human trafficking. So um, that that kind of really, to me, that movie sort of ties in with that dramatically. You know, it's just there's so much, um, there's just so much that that is intertwined and sort of the precious gems and jewelry and the diamonds and uh, yeah, absolutely, it's it can be a little. Um, it can be um, a not so beautiful world on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to definitely just take the time to make sure, you know, it's, I mean, I, I like make jewelry hand quotations with my gemstone bracelets and stuff, but um, whether I'm like, you know, buying a crystal or some stones online or buying beads, like it's very important for me to get them ethically ethnically sourced yes you know because of course these are like the resources on our planet sure. um, that should be being sourced you know in a responsible way Absolutely. and then of course we don't want anyone being hurt in that process i mean everything carries energy right so you know that that tags along absolutely um so in in working from home which you've done for a long time. How difficult has it been balancing that, that personal work life? And you're um, a mama. What's that? You're a mama. So, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, it's been, um, it's been a challenge. I mean, I had three kids under three years old. And um, so balancing that has it's been sort of a little bit difficult, but um, also a really amazing thing at the same time because I could have someone in the house watching them um, and I could still go out if I needed to breastfeed or, you know, yeah. I could still pop in and give them a hug while they were eating lunch or, you know, things like that. And so I, I love that. I love the symbiotic um, nature of having them near me. Um, now that they're older, it is a little more challenging because, you know, they have figured out all the ways to make their way into my studio. Even when I lock it up, they'll blast in and want to, you know, see what I'm doing or ask me a question and whoops. Oh, you have a customer in? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, so, you know, it's very festive, especially now that they're out of school. Um, very, very festive. But I typically had made my schedule where I would work when they were at school. And then when they were done, I was doing mom life, which I loved. I loved 
it's kind of the best of both worlds. You know, it's sort of that soul driven idea too, because I love being a mom and I love my family. So I feel like I get the best of both worlds where I get to do what I love while I'm working. And then when I'm done working, I am with the people that I love. So it's, um, it's kind of a win-win, you know, I, I think it's, it takes a little bit of balancing, but, um, but my goal, and I feel like this from when I lived in Italy, um, I watched the people and I loved the culture and I loved how they were just, uh, they enjoyed life. They really, really enjoyed life. And I was like, man, they're not, you know, they're siesting in the middle of the day and they're always drinking coffees and spending time with people. And, and I was like, you know, I really, I want to adopt that sort of mentality and I don't want to do the American thing where you work, 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 and then you forget about living. You know, I want to, I want to live life and work, but I don't want work to be my life. Um, I want to be able to enjoy every bit of my life. So I feel like I do, um, try to, to do that as much as possible where, you know, I'm not working my life away. I'm very selective with the time that I work and the time that I give to it. And, um, but I'm also, I love to put time into the other things that I enjoy doing in life too. Yeah. I remember, um, I'm, I'm sure you have seen this, you know, eat, love, pray the movie mm-hmm. where they're like in the uh, the barber and the, the Italian guys are talking. He's like, you Americans, you don't know how to relax. That's <laughs> like it. you don't know how to have fun. And it's so true. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't feel that way. I feel like I've, um, adopted that very well. And, you know, my work week is typically, typically between about 15 and 20 hours a week. And, and I'm really happy with that. And I love yeah. that. And I, because it still allows me the time to do what I need to do. And, um, but also it allows me time to really live and enjoy where I live and my family and my friends and, um, and just to enjoy life, you know, life is short. So I want to enjoy it in every direction. Yes. A thousand percent. I mean, I, for me, like being an entrepreneur, that was just like always going to be the path for me, just honestly, yeah. because of my temperament, I had no choice. <laughs> I'm not a great employee unless my boss stays out of my way and doesn't ever yeah. talk to me. Yes. Um, but even at a young age, you know, when I wanted nothing to do with like potentially having kids, it was like, well, even if I change my mind one day, then like I can be there and I yeah. can be around and I can have that on my terms. Yes. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, that's, that's part of living the dream, right? Absolutely. Yes, I agree fully. Awesome. All right, lady. So we're going to wrap up here with our closeout questions. Okay. Are you, are you, are you ready for the lightning round? Should I get my cup of water here? Let me have a drink of water. <laughs> okay. Dun, 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 dun. I've been, uh, I don't know if you've... uh, Lately, there's been so many synchronicities with the time. Every time, like when I'm looking at the clock, it's like 111. Have you ever looked at what the meanings are? Yes. Yes. Pretty epic. Um, I'm always like, thank you, universe. Appreciate that. (laughs) Okay. All right. You ready? Number one, what is the one habit that you can't live without? 
Oh, hmm. going to the beach. Does that count? Of course. Okay, good. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite habit. It could be chewing gum and that would be acceptable to each their own. <laughs> but the beach is much better. Uh, okay. Number two, what does spirituality mean for you? Hmm. Uh, so I kind of see my work that way. Um, and I almost see that in my, is kind of an extension of my way of communicating with God. Um, because early, early on in my career, um, I was at a, um, at a prayer service and the, the guy from up at the front, he said, um, the spirit of God has anointed the craftsmen to make works in bronze, silver, and gold in the setting of precious stones. And it was almost like a lightning bolt moment for me. And I, it was like, I already knew what I wanted to do, but it just sealed, kind of sealed it forever to me. And to realize that that my, it was a gift that has been given to me and uh, a gift that I can give back to other people um, and, and to God. So it's sort of like a, a flow that happens um, with me when I'm making jewelry and the way that I feel about it, it almost feels like um, worship in a way, like it really does. It feels like it's just a, a different format. Um, it's kind of like a, a physical I don't know. I mean, like a, almost like a physical prayer or, you know, it's just, that's how I see it. I love that. I love that a whole lot. Um, yes. Uh, I try not to talk to these, so I'll stop. Um, Three, what is your advice to anyone who's looking to find purpose to find their purpose? Um, I think, you know, just, kind of make mental notes of what your favorite things are. What, what makes you come alive? You know, what makes you feel the most joy and realize that within those things is where your purpose lies, you know, and you can kind of, you can kind of narrow it down. I mean, you know, what makes you just like your insides kind of leap and you know, what makes you the happiest and bring and brings you joy. And I think in those things is somehow, some way your purpose is woven into that because I believe that we're called to, to enjoy life and live it to the fullest. And, and I feel like in doing that, then, then, you know, kind of bringing it back into that spiritual thing. It's like, um, I heard it said one time, and this has always really stuck with me that a life fully lived is like a window into the heart of God. So it's like, when we're, when we find that thing that brings us joy and we live out of that place, then it's, it's sort of a reflection of, of how we're created to be. And, um, and not only does it bring us joy when we're living our purpose, but it's, it brings other people alive around us. Um, so it's kind of a, a win-win. Agreed. 1000%. The ultimate praise to God. Yes. When we're joyful. Um, awesome. Okay. Final question. Where can people connect with you online? Mm. Well, Instagram is probably where all the daily creations go. Since everything is custom made to order, a lot of things make it to Instagram that don't ever make it to the website. 
However, I do have um, a website, melissatysondesigns.com and an Etsy store, same name. And um, But Instagram is the most current um, daily. I talk a lot on the stories and kind of show the behind the scenes of what I'm working on and making at the bench. And then uh, a lot of the um, creations end up there that don't end up anywhere else. So it's a great place to sort of see see what's happening. Yes. And your newest designs, I've just been loving so much. They're gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, Miss Melissa. It's been such a pleasure. Likewise. (laughs) All right, folks, this wraps up today's episode. Now I'm curious, what did you learn today? about custom design jewelry. Head over to the website in the show notes, leave your comments on today's post or find us on social media at Soul Driven Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's message, please leave me an iTunes review. Share this episode on social media and with those you love. Sign up for our email list, if I can speak. We've got some awesome downloads coming soon. And don't forget, when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. See you next week.